Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Tonight, I am going to talk about assurance of salvation. We're taking a mini detour from the book of Exodus to talk about this. And in the subheading on my PowerPoint, am I really saved? Spoiler alert for most people who are asking this question in the circumstance, the answer is yes. But I'll I'll explain what I mean as we're going along. I, I have met people during the, I've been a Christian since I was nine. I've met several people during that time who I knew to be Christians who, for some reason, they, they wondered or doubted that they were Christians at all, that they somehow had done something or, or maybe not done something, and they were somehow not acceptable to God anymore, um, including a family member who's close to me recently. And I was shocked because this person had been a Christian for four decades, and I was sure of it. And, and when I heard some of the reasoning, I realized that, yeah, he was a Christian. And, and I thought to myself, well, if that's... I've met several people. How many other people might be grappling with this, or how many people... If you're, not, if you're not grappling with it, maybe you'll come across somebody who does. So I'd like, I'd like to talk about the subject. Assurance of salvation is not eternal security of the believer. Okay? And, now, and just to define terms, by you know, a Christian, we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man, that he came to earth, he lived a sinless life, he died for our sins, and that by faith in him and in the work that he did, that um, our sins are forgiven and we come to eternal life through faith in Christ. And our salvation is not based on anything that we did. It's based on what Christ did for us. Assurance is really how we feel about it. It's feelings, it's emotions. And, and what can impact those feelings and emotions to cause somebody who is a Christian to later on say, I don't know that if I'm a Christian at all. And I was able to help that family member. Um, but after that experience, I thought I would talk about this. And you, you may want to take a couple notes, not that many notes. Or maybe it's just, um, nothing, there's nothing here that's, um, not familiar, but you, if you come away at least realizing that this is a thing, that you could actually come across people who are who think that they're not a Christian and, and 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 they are. Now, maybe in conversation, you may find out that that person never trusted Christ to begin with. That does happen, but a lot of times, I think that there are people who are Christians who are a little confused, or just been listening to the voice in their own head too long. That can happen. I mean, my self-talk's not very good. Anybody have trouble with their self-talk? 
And I don't mean speaking to yourself. That could be crazy. It could just be your thoughts speaking to yourself. And, and, it, and it, it's steadily more difficult for me. When I became an elder, it, it became worse because then sometimes I would sin and it would be like, well, way to go, elder. It was just one more reason. But then I'd remind myself, wait a minute. I am just going to do what I always do, confess, repent, say I'm sorry if I need to apologize to somebody, move forward. Okay, for assurance of salvation, one problem that people can have is that they, they may know something of the Bible, but they may misunderstand certain scriptures and kind of convince themselves that, of what they already suspect, that they're somehow no longer acceptable to God. For example, 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves as to whether or not you're in, your faith, in the faith, test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you are disqualified. A person who lacks assurance may say, oh, me. I'm disqualified. It's not what Paul was talking about. He was talking, he was speaking to the church in Corinth and telling them as a group, check yourselves out. Make sure you're really Christians. Maybe some of you, you've been coming and maybe you really never trusted Christ to begin with. Something he suspected because some of the, there were some crazy things happening there. You know, people getting drunk during communion, um, a lot of bickering and arguing and factions. It's not what he was talking about. A person who lacks assurance can read that and take it completely the wrong way. Let's take another verse, James 2.17. Thus, also by faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Here, a person could say, well, you know, it's been several years. I really don't go to church that often. I don't really read my Bible, I really haven't done anything. Maybe I'm really not a Christian. Maybe, well, I I don't even have works to say that my faith's dead because I don't have any works. I'm not a Christian. It's not what James was talking about. James wrote a letter, that an epistle that went out to early churches, a large Jewish population that was used to having um, Pharisees, Religious teachers who set themselves up to say, okay, I'm going to teach you not only the law, but how you will know if you obey the law. And it was kind of a racket. And, and, and they would, for some, some Pharisees honestly sought God. Others had a nice cushy job where they could tell people what to do and they could walk around acting all holy and pious based on the external things that they did and said. And James was reminding people that, you know, don't take those things that are in, uh, like a Pharisee, and apply it here. You have to have, your faith should have some works behind it. Over the totality of your life. Is it possible that a person who's a Christian could go a stretch of several years and, and, and um, go off course? Absolutely. Happens all the time. 
There are people who are Christians who I've known whose life goes like this and it twists and it turns. And when you see them, after a few months, you're wondering what happened to them. And it's like one train wreck after another, but they trust Christ and, and, and they really do believe. And, and they're weak and you, so you try to help them. Um, but a person who lacks assurance can look at that and say, well, that's me. My, my faith is dead. Matthew seven twenty one to 23, Jesus speaking, saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice Lawlessness. Somebody could look at that and say, oh, well, maybe that's me. I mean, not that I'm, I, I don't even do anything, I don't even do anything cool like that. I just, but I, I know that I, I've certainly, you know, said Lord, Lord, and, and, and he says, well, here, not everyone who says Lord, Lord gets into heaven. So it's possible for a person to misunderstand Scripture, and we're going to find out why. What contributes to a lack of assurance? I think this is not an exhaustive list, but it, it's, it's going to cover a lot of it. I think it's going to cover most of it. One is lack of confession of sin. Another is unfamiliarity with God's word. And the third one is really what we think and do, and and with doing, uh, that includes what we say. We're going to look at lack of confession first. Confession, for a Christian, it's an everyday thing. As we grow in Christ, we also have a greater understanding of where we need to change. It's like an onion being peeled. You never get there. If God gives you victory over one area, you discover something else that that needs some work. Now, David, in Psalm 32, he talked about how what it was like before he confessed his sin and what happened after it. From verse 4, it says, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Confession does that. And notice at the beginning he said, your hand was heavy upon me. I've certainly felt that. When I had unconfessed sin, the Holy Spirit that lives in me and lives in uh, most, if not all of you, anybody here who's a believer has the Holy Spirit living in them, can be grieved and can let you know that something's wrong and something needs to change. Anybody remember the story about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples? Okay, 
Uh, Peter, when it was his turn, he said, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, unless you let me wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. And then, of course, Peter being Peter, he kind of goes to the other direction. He goes, well, you know what? Wash everything. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. We just need to wash the feet. The feet are what get dirty. Now, we wear shoes now, so the foot thing doesn't really work anymore, at least not in a lot of places. Maybe down south where it's warm all the time it does. Hey, wash your hands. What, a, what would it be like if you didn't wash your hands after a day? After a week? After a month? Ew. Okay. Lack of confession can be like that. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, when we come to Christ, he saves us from sin. The sin that, that kills us. As we go along in our Christian life, well, we're human beings, so we still sin. And we need to confess those sins. But here is a verse that tells us when we do confess that we're forgiven and we can move on. We can always get a redo by recognizing what we did that was wrong, confessing it. And with that repentance, realizing I'm not going to, I don't want to do that again, Lord, help me not to do that again, and, and to go forward. Somebody who doesn't confess sin doesn't get that feeling of freedom, okay? And in addition to feeling like, you know, they haven't washed their hands in a long time, they don't feel that feeling of freedom to be able to move forward. Unfamiliarity with God's word. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay. And the Bible is the word of God. But if you're not spending time in it, and if you don't know it, and you don't understand it, it's not going to change you, because you're not letting it. And I think that does happen all too often in our, in our society today. People come to church, they sit, they listen, and they leave, and they don't crack a Bible, or do a devotional, or do anything much during the week, and then they come to church again. It's like having a meal on a Sunday, and then having your next meal the following Sunday. Not the healthiest thing to do. Not the healthiest thing to do. So, and that's where my, my relative, he, he, he ran into some trouble, because he would go through these gaps where he wouldn't be thinking about the Bible at all. So even scriptures that were familiar to him weren't being brought to mind. And that's part of what we're doing when we do devotionals or we do daily Bible reading, is that we're, we're maybe learning something new, but we're also reminded of something that maybe we heard. 
and maybe at that, that is the point that we, we apply it to our life. Now, me, I, I don't read anymore. I, 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 I podcast, I listen to it. I put it on my phone, and I have an external speaker, or I'm in my car. And uh, usually with the daily audio Bible, I'm, I'm at home doing things that I don't, I don't have to think too much about. And, and uh, they do uh, part of the Old Testament, part of the New Testament, a psalm or part of a psalm, and then a couple of verses of the Proverbs. There's usually one thing every single day, at least one thing, that I can think about and apply to my life. And often, that is in conjunction with where I've heard it before. Okay? And that all helps. It helps me when I see a verse to, to not read it the way I want to read it or to read it based on what's going on in my mind, but to say, okay, well, let me just make sure I understand what this really means and read through it. Or maybe realize that I, I'm looking at it wrong because I know better, because I've been spending time in the Word. Okay, Paul writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, 15 to 16. Timothy, at this point, is a young leader of a church. He's a Paul's protege. This is also Paul's last letter that he wrote. And Paul writes to Timothy, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Christ Jesus might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So he calls himself the chief of sinners. He reminds Timothy that Christ appeared to all of the apostles but him last on the road to Damascus after he'd already risen. And Paul is a chief sinner. Now, Timothy must already know what Paul means because I'm sure he's talked about it. And I'm sure that Timothy knew Paul's story. But the Corinthians didn't know Paul's story, so he had to tell it to them. In 1 Corinthians 15, 8-10, Paul writes... And this is, again, referring to himself as the last apostle seen um, that, that saw Jesus. Then last of all, he, that is Jesus, was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me is not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So it's God's grace. Now, talking to my relative, one of the things he said was, you know, I've done a lot of, so many terrible things after I became a Christian that God can no longer accept me. So I asked him, I said, well, have you persecuted the church? And he said, no. And I said, Excellent. Well, then you're better than Paul. Paul persecuted the church. So, lastly, it's what we think and do. This is the hardest one because this has a lot to do with our self talk. Certainly, um, there's the enemy whispering in our ear. Tempting us, whispering in our ear, tell us, telling us lies, telling us we're worthless. But you know what? 
a lot of us can do that, do a good job by ourselves of doing that very same thing. I do. I have to catch myself. And, and um, I'm married to um, my wife, um, who is harder on herself than I am on mine. I know her well enough to understand how she's wired. So I, I say this is how I am, but I know there are a lot of people in this church who are harder on themselves than I am just because of how I'm wired. And I, and I, I feel for you <laughs> because um, I think I have a hard time with this sometimes. Okay. It's what we think, it's what we say, and it's what we do. So we... we we could just think it, we could do it. It also could be as in, in community and sometimes within church. Paul, writing to the Ephesians in, in chapter 4, says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you and with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So, a lot of negative things that we can do here that I think contribute to it, and we're going to get to another scripture that shows that more clearly. Bitterness, wrath, anger. Clamor is kind of like arguing loudly. And then the things that we're supposed to do, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Because that's normal. A forgiven person forgives. And, and for those who don't forgive for whatever reason, there's something wrong there. I'm not saying that person's not a Christian, but I am saying there's something wrong there. I have other relatives, and I know one of them is a Christian, has a problem with forgiving people. Um, holds a grudge. It's hard. Second Peter 1, 2-4. And actually, this is going to go on to, I think, verse 11. And then once we go through it, we're going to go back to the beginning of it. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which, we have been give, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we're off to a good start. Continuing with verse 5, also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, to your self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if, if, in these, things, if, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So there's a lot here. If you're a list person, 
this is great. No, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness. Um, I'm not a list person, I try to be. Fortunately, if we're, li- if, we're, if we're in the word regularly, then all the parts of the Bible together are going to help us with knowledge, with self-control, with perseverance, with godliness, with brotherly kindness, with love. Okay. But if you're a list person, knock yourself out. And if these are practices that we can continue in, not to do them sort of like as a see God what I'm doing here or to show other people see how holy I am, but because we want to follow Jesus. So we want to have more knowledge and more self-control and we want to be able to persevere when times are difficult. Maybe even help other people persevere. Peter writes that we'll that we'll be fruitful, that we won't be barren in our knowledge of Christ. But those who lack these things, aren't practicing them, are short-sighted, even the blindness and have forgotten that he or she has been cleansed from his old sins. Kind of, or if you could put it differently, may start to lack assurance of his or her own salvation. Okay? Because what is salvation? Being cleansed from our old sins, right? Lack of assurance is looking back and saying, maybe that didn't really happen to me. Maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I didn't do it right the first time. Okay. 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So verse 10 says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. And then it says, how do you do that? You do that by doing those other things that, that, that he talked about, the, you know, the, the um, knowledge and the self-control and the perseverance, all those things. Um, why do we need to make our call and election sure? Do we need to do that so that we can kind of make that sure with God? Or do you think that God already knows that we're Christians and we need to do that so that we can make the call and election sure? to ourselves because doing those things is a way that increases the assurance of our salvation. Okay? And that's how things that we say and do can impact our assurance of salvation. If we're following Jesus, we're doing all those things, our assurance of salvation is going to increase. If we're not and and instead we're doing some negative things, and then maybe on top of that, not confessing those things when we do them, our assurance of salvation is going to go down. And for some people, they could reach a state to where they, they wonder if they're a Christian at all. Now, me, I never did. And I've certainly been through periods of time where I wasn't following. But I've met enough people who have experienced that. I don't want anyone to think that because it's, it's terrible. My, my, my relative went through a lot of grief over that, and, and I want to see, uh, I don't want to see anybody else um, go through it. 
going back to the beginning of First uh, Peter 1, 2-4, but looking at verse 3, and I, I have it bolded, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So when we come to Christ, he's given us what we need at the beginning. Maybe we don't know we have it, so we have to learn. We have to maybe spend some time in the word. We have to think about how it applies to our lives. But we don't have to sit around and you know, wait for something special to happen later on. And there are Christians who think that. They think they need some sort of additional blessing before they can really um, be a mature Christian. Um, being a mature Christian, I mean, sometimes God can take us and really deliver us from, even deliver us from sin. Usually, though, it's, it's a lot of plotting. It's a lot of taking two steps forward and then maybe taking one step back and then, you know, God, I'm sorry. And, I'm, and then taking a couple more steps forward and making that forward uh, motion and, and uh, along the way confessing our sins and being mindful of Scripture, applying it to our lives. But his power has given us at the beginning everything that we need. So we don't need to wait for some sort of additional blessing later on. We just need to be walking, following Jesus. James 4, 7 and 10, 7 to 10. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I do not believe that James meant that we're supposed to go around sad all the time. But I, I do believe that he means that when we see things in ourselves that aren't right, we need to pause and, and recognize those things are wrong and humble ourselves to God and confess our sins. And then he will lift us up. He'll, we'll have forgiveness. We'll have healing. We can move forward. This is uh, something I'll end with. It's an illustration from uh, a book that I have not read by Greg Gilbert uh, called Assured, Discover Grace, Let Go of Guilt, and Rest in Your Salvation. I did, however, read a book he wrote about the gospel that I thought was excellent. Therefore, I I felt comfortable in going with this uh, illustration. um, And maybe someday I will read the book. It says, consider this, in the design of a car, there's a profound difference between the driver of speed and the confirmer of speed, between the accelerator and the speedometer. If we want the car to go faster, we do what? We push on the accelerator. We put weight on it, and the car goes. Now, of course, when we do that, one of the results is that the speedometer indicates how fast the car is going. But the speedometer is a sign of the speed. It is not the source of the speed. If we want more speed, we don't raise our hand and go to the dashboard and try to reach in, even if we could reach through the glass and move the needle. We put our foot on the accelerator. Okay. So in a sense, something like assurance of salvation, that's more, more like something that is a speedometer. Or maybe lack of assurance is kind of like a warning light. Okay, um, but if we're going to change our speed, it's going to be with the accelerator. You know, 
We can't just say, okay, God, I want more assurance. No, he's given us what we need. But maybe we need to just confess some things more. Maybe we need to um, um, spend more time in the word. And of course, if there's somebody here who doesn't know Christ, well, the thing you really need to do is to trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin, have your sin forgiven, and, and that begin, that's your starting point. And then from there, move on. Um, just, you know, uh, God will help us to grow, uh, anybody who comes to Christ. But then that growing is... It's confession, it's reflection, it's listening to God's word, it's applying it to our lives, moving forward, being mindful of what we think and do and say, and being mindful of the voices in our head, you know, what we say to ourselves, okay? I hope this helps. Now, if, if I have a room full of people that don't have this problem, you may meet somebody who does, and you may... Uh, be the person that God calls to help them to, to be able to take some steps like I was able to help my relative uh, because this is avoidable and uh, God's already given us all the answers that we need. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.